Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Let's go into the word of the Lord to Deuteronomy chapter number 3. Deuteronomy chapter number 3. Praise God. I felt the Holy Ghost throughout this service. I appreciate your response to the Spirit of the Lord uh, during our period of worship. And I pray that you would be responsive to the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the Word of God. Because I believe that these two things work in tandem to help and to bless us. Amen. And as much as we need His Spirit to move, we need His Word to work in our lives. Praise God. Deuteronomy chapter number 3 and verse 11, maybe an unusual passage here, for only all king of Bashan remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rebath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits with the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. I want you to notice that first portion of the verse. It says, For only all king of Bashan remained of the remnant of giants. Only all king of Bashan remained of the remnant of giants. And I want to use... This subject tonight as a title, When You're Down to Your Last Giant. When You're Down to Your Last Giant. We know that the book of Deuteronomy is a period of time when the children of Israel are being prepared to enter into the promises of God, the promised land, to possess it. This was something that God had promised to them and for some period of time now, they, they've heard about it. They're longing for it. And uh, there is some things, some obstacles that stand in the way. And so I want to talk about them here tonight. Would you lift up your voice again with me and let's pray together for the anointing and the touch of the Holy Ghost in this service. Let's pray aloud. Jesus, we're asking you, God, to, to move and to work, to have your way here in this place. Touching each and every heart, soul that is in this building. I'm praying, God, that you would move and do the work that your word is able to do in encouraging, strengthening people's faith and helping folks in this house tonight. We thank you, God, for the very opportunity to be here. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would minister in Jesus' name, we pray. And would the church say amen? Would you clap your hands to him before you're seated? Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Israel was a nation that it seems was constantly struggling and fighting with giants. There's a lot of theories about where these giants may have came from, and I'll leave it to scholars that are smarter than I as to tell you where they came from or 
their origin, but there were giants that were in the land nevertheless. And these giants posed a threat to the people of God. The giants were very intimidating. They were a force to be reckoned with. They were fierce, and they were something that was in the land that uh, the children of Israel were uh, camping and sojourning through on their way to the promise. And this, no doubt, was horrifying to the children of Israel. For generations, the children of Israel has fought giants. But the Scripture says in our text that Israel had defeated the majority of them, and there only stood in their path one giant. And I mentioned him in our text tonight before the promised land. The only one that remained was this giant that was called Og. And on the other side of him was the promise, was everything that they had dreamed about and longed for and spoken among themselves about that they believed that God was going to give them. The destiny and the plan of God, the blessings of God, the favor of God, all of this laid on the other side of this giant. Everything that God had prepared for his people, uh, there was just one giant. They were one giant away from receiving this promise. One giant away from this prophecy being fulfilled. One giant away from this eternal purpose of God. One giant away from stability. One giant away from permanence. As I mentioned, these people had been tent dwellers and sojourners, not having a permanent place. They had been a nation of people that had wandered through the wilderness since leaving and being delivered from Egypt. And once they entered into the promised land, there would be no more wandering. There would be no more tent dwelling. They would no longer be strangers in this land, but this would be their final resting place. This would be theirs to possess and to have, and even to this day, this very area that God had promised to them and that they possessed has been a matter of contention throughout the ages. Even now, in this hour that we live, there's a lot of contention over this particular parcel of ground, this land that Israel possesses. But with all of this that was against them, Israel has not been forced out of this land. Once they came into the promised land, once they established themselves there, they've never been forced, even though there's been enemies that were far greater, even though there has been Arab nations surrounding them that are as far as uh, the amass of people and armies that they are willing to put together to come against Israel. They're greater in army, greater in number, greater in force and in might and strength and just by looking at things and observing on the sidelines it would appear that Israel would have no chance against enemies that are so formidable but nevertheless because God promised them this place they've been able to retain it and that ought to be a a, a real encouragement to you and I that ought to be a revelation and a principle that we ought to get in our hearts tonight to understand that there is a place in God, a permanence. 
There is a place of God where we can be consistent. There is a place in God where we can overcome and live in victory. Does that mean there will never be another struggle? No. Does that mean that there will never be another trial? No. Does that mean that we can just relax? No. But uh, we can understand that God will be with us. And we can have this assurance that God is going to help us. That we can move into a place that we don't have to go back and start all over again. We don't have to lose. Amen. But we can possess this promise and never return to the land of bondage. It's amazing to me that while there were other enemies that seemed to be reoccurring in the nation of Israel's existence, that when it comes to Egypt, when he delivered them out of Egypt, it was an enemy that they never had to fight again. It was an enemy that never rose up and reassembled themselves against them, but they were drowned in the Red Sea. And there was one particular point that Moses took them back down to the Red Sea after after the Egyptian army had been drowned there. And he said, I want you to look at their faces. In other words, you're not going to see their faces anymore. They're no longer going to be your captors. They're no longer going to rule you with rigor. But from this day forward, you need to get into your mind and mentality that you're going to live in victory, that you're going to live an overcoming life, that you don't have to go back to that. Oh, I could spend a lot of time preaching about that. But when God delivers a person, I believe he delivers them well. I don't believe that once you've ever been born again of water and spirit, uh, that you have to go back into sin. That you have to go back into things that once had a hold on you. But I believe that the blood is powerful enough. uh, That the power of the Holy Ghost has enough strength in it uh, to help a person to completely overcome those issues of their life. uh, And never have to return. Never have to backslide. Never have to stumble over those things again. Do you believe that God is able to so completely deliver tonight? Amen. If you believe that, you ought to clap your hands and worship the Lord with me. Somebody said, you don't, you don't know how long I've been bound by this. You don't know how long nicotine has been an issue for me. You don't know how long alcoholism has been an issue for me. You don't know how many times I wish that I could get uh, free from these things that have been a bondage in my life and a hindrance to my walk with God. I want to tell you, when you come to an altar and repent of your sins and we take you to a baptistry in Jesus' name, there's something that happens. The Bible says there's remission that takes place. I said there's remission. Oh, that that was raging out of control is suddenly arrested. That that, that had uh, dominance in your life is suddenly put uh, in incarceration. Suddenly those things that hindered you that you couldn't get over with. Amen. God is able to give you freedom from it. God is able to deliver you completely of those things. How many believes that's possible? I said, how many believes God can do that tonight? He can do that in this room for somebody in this house. Oh, that's right. I I don't know why I feel just to keep coming back to that and hammering on that and helping somebody to realize that. You, You need, after you come through the Red Sea and you've been led by the cloud, in other words, the Holy Ghost, you need to realize it's it's bigger and greater things from here. 
I'm leaving Egypt behind. I'm not looking back to it. I'm not interested in anything that it has to offer anymore. It's all been eradicated. It's all been removed. The desires for it has been removed from my heart. And my, that was the problem that Israel had. They had been delivered from it physically, but there still remained a desire for it in their heart. You got to get the desire for the world out of your heart. You got to get the desire for the things of the world out of your spirit. And, and you got to have an attitude that says, you know what? I don't want anything this world has to offer. All that it could do is bring me down. All that it could do is bring bondage to me. All that it could do is leave me in a weakened condition and sap out of me my life. But the Bible tells me that He is able to give me life more abundantly. He He's able to bless me. He's able to fulfill his promises for me. If I walk with him, he'll lead me into greater places. Come on, I'm going to tell you. Living for God is not just a severance from sin. It's not just a separation from the world and a deliverance from the bondage that was in the world. But I believe that God replaces all of those desires with godly desires and godly appetites. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. And, and when you think about it, uh, there is nothing that this world has that is comparable to the blessings that God wants to bestow upon his people. Amen. This world, it tries to heal. It tries to, to nurture people back to health. But we serve the great physician. And if you're a child of God, you have access to him. His virtue and power to heal you of all your diseases, the Bible says. Oh, I thought I'd get more response there. I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and struggling with sickness, there's a God that is able to heal you of all your diseases. I still believe in divine healing. I still preach and believe and proclaim that God is able to eradicate every disease. There's no disease that is too great. It may be on medical science to, to heal you, but it's not beyond the power of God to heal you. The doctors say, he may say that it's over, but when God says it isn't over yet, you can rest assured that he can heal you completely of those things. That ought to make somebody want to shout a little bit tonight. That ought to make somebody want to rejoice a little bit tonight. That ought to make somebody happy in this house. Amen. The world could do that for me, but God can do it for me. That's right. Amen. You know, the world attempts to give joy. Egypt tries to give joy. Oh, yeah. But it can't give true joy. It can give temporal happiness. It can give happiness that lasts for a little while until you get some more money to go spend on the same things that offer the same limited amount of happiness. Oh, but I thank God that when you get the Holy Ghost, you're drinking from a well that never runs dry. 
I said, you're drinking from a well that never runs dry. It's like an artesian well that bubbles up. Amen. I said, it's like an artesian well that bubbles up. Amen. And some of us need to ask the Lord, as those people of old spring up, oh, well, spring up. Oh, something, let it bubble up in me. Let me get the joy back. Let me get that excitement for living for God back. Let me get that desire for the things of God back in my heart. Amen. Because this is joy unspeakable, the scripture says, and full of glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I can walk in the joy of the Holy Ghost. Egypt couldn't do that for me. Hallelujah. There are certain things that I've seen people through the years, they've tried to, to get disconnected with and tried to overcome and tried to reinvent themselves and they, they went to seminars and they, they took treatment and they did all of those things. And I'm not throwing stones at any of those things. But I'm telling you, it's all pretty hollow without Jesus. It's all pretty empty without the Lord. Amen. But you get the experience of the Holy Ghost. It can radically change you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Some of you need to see that for what it is. I said some of you need to get a revelation of just how powerful salvation is in the life of a believer. Get an understanding. Maybe you maybe you remember what it was like, but you need to get refreshed in it again. And remember, hey, God is able. If he could take care of me then, he could take care of me now. If he could take care of those desires back then, he could take care of this longing and desire that's in my heart now. If he's able to satisfy me then don't you think that God is able to satisfy me now there's no sense in me looking back to the world I've come too far God's done too much he's able to take care of every obstacle and every giant that stands in my way that's right that's right that's right that's right come on now let's give some praise unto the Lord oh yeah you know, there's a place of consistency. That, again, doesn't mean that there's not, there's not some blows that we have to absorb and there's not some pressure that comes upon us spiritually and that we don't have to spiritually war sometimes, but we can be consistent through the help of God. Oh, yes, where you're not up and down, where you're not in and out, where you're not hot and cold. Oh, but before you can get there, there's one last giant left that you have to kill, that you have to slay. And this is what is hard to understand because the enemy, he always intensifies his efforts. I believe I can prove this in the Word of God when we're closest to victory. Yeah, you ever notice that? It's like... Man, I didn't really have any of these problems, and I didn't find uh, the fight so intense until I started really trying to do something for God. I'm going to tell you, when you really get heated up in your prayer life and you start intensifying your efforts and drawing closer to the Lord, it's like some things get awakened, and and the devil uh, that perhaps had been... uh, Maybe, maybe just kind of relaxed somewhere 
thinking that, well, they're, they're just kind of in cruise control and they're not a real threat to me. Suddenly, when you get stirred up for God, he gets stirred up against you. And he tries his best to stop that and to put that fire out before it ever gets started because he knows something about the fire of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He knows that that it begins to spread. He, He knows and understands that if he don't get control of it early on, he won't be able to get control of it at all. Hallelujah. It'll be a wildfire that'll break out. And it won't just be upon you, but it'll spread to your family. And it'll spread to those that are under your influence. And it'll get on people that are around you. And other people will begin to notice. Come on, if you ever get the joy of the Lord, this world's going to want to have that joy. They'll want to experience that joy. If you ever get that peace that passeth all understanding, they'll notice it and they'll want that for themselves. And so he intensifies his effort because the Bible says that the devil knows he has but a short time. Yeah. He comes down with great wrath because he knows that. When he sees you, in other words, when he sees you getting close to your promise, he sees you getting close to your breakthrough. He sees you on the borders of your blessing. He comes against you with great wrath. He intensifies his effort. Let me tell you how to respond to that. I'll tell you what we need to do is we need to uh, be commensurate with our intensifying our efforts and realize, hey, amen, devil, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Oh, there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. I'm not going to take this sitting down. I'm not going to take the intensity and the, the fight and the struggle that I'm experiencing as a no from God. But I'm going to take it as a yes from God. I'm going to take it as understanding that I may be close to the greatest victory of my life. That my prayer's right around the corner. That I'm right there at my breakthrough. That's the worst time to give up. That's the worst time to quit. That's the worst time for you to relax. That's when you need to push the accelerator down. That's when you need to make up your mind. I'm not stopping now, but I'm going to get more into this. I'm going to pray harder than I've ever prayed. I'm going to worship with more intensity than I've ever shown. I'm going to give more to God than I've ever given. Because he knows that victory is there. He knows that I'm right there on the brink of my blessing. And he's trying to stop me. He's trying to hinder me. Yeah. But I'm not going back. I'm not looking back. I'm not going to relax. Oh, yeah. Amen. It becomes more intense the closer you get. In war, the closer country gets to another country's borders, the more intense the combat. Since this was the last giant before the promised land, you can assume that, that this giant was a bad guy. Uh, you can assume that he's the toughest and the biggest and the most fierce 
But the scripture really doesn't say anything to that effect. It doesn't really say anything about his military might or accomplishments. Nothing about the weapons that he would wield or his training. The Bible doesn't describe any of that. Now, when it talks about other giants, let's leap ahead here in the scripture to the stories about the giant that David fought, the giant of Goliath. Goliath, we, we see it gives us details about him. Not only gives us his measurements, how tall and how formidable he was, but it also gives us the specs on his weapons. It says that his helmet was made of brass, that it had a coat of mail that was 5,000 shekels of brass. If you know anything about brass, you know it's a very heavy metal. Greaves of brass on his legs, a target or a shield of brass between his shoulders, a staff like a weaver's beam. This was not an average staff. Weighing 600 shekels of iron. Iron, again, a very heavy metal. One bearing a shield went before him. He was not alone. He had somebody, his shield was so big they had to carry it. One man was designated to carry it himself. Goliath, suffice it to say, was very imposing. He was intimidating as a figure. Not only was he big, but he also had a big mouth, we can see, in the Scripture. Yeah. He told David, I'll feed you to the dogs. He didn't stop there. He said, he said who is this that you sent out to me? He said, this is a boy. This is a lad. He said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you to the dogs. And he ridiculed, and he made fun of him. You know, the devil's a lot like that. His threats, his bark is a whole lot bigger than his bite. He tries, the Bible said he's an accuser of the brethren, the father of all lies. He tries to fabricate and weave lies so big in our lives that we don't even want to try. We won't even pray for certain things because the devil's convinced us that that's not for us. Oh, that that promise can never be fulfilled in our lives and we may as well not even believe God for it. That, that's for somebody else, but that's not for you. Don't even endeavor. Don't even try. But David, a young man that came out of obscurity, a young man that had won some battles in obscurity. I'm going to tell you, before you can win public battles, before you can be anointed to do things publicly for God. You've got to win battles behind closed doors. you gotta, you got to win battles within yourself. you got to get control of your own flesh. you got to be willing to deal with you first. And alone out there overseeing a small flock that was his father's. The Bible says that there was a lion and there was a bear that came to take of one of the lambs. And some would have said, you know, there's nobody out here overseeing me. There's nobody watching me. Matter of fact, I don't even know if my father knows that a lamb has been born. And we could sacrifice a lamb. I mean, we could let, we could let the lion or the bear take a lamb. And, and maybe if he, if he takes the lamb, it'll satisfy him and it'll leave the flock alone. I won't have to deal with him again. But David knew better than that. 
He understood something. He understood that if I allow this bear or this lion to take a lamb, he'll be back for more lambs. He will not stop there. And before you know it, it'll be my whole flock that he'll have destroyed. And it'll be his, uh, my whole flock that he will have consumed. So if I'm not willing to fight for this little lamb, uh, then, then there's no place for it to ever stop. I've got to be willing to, to draw the line here. I've got to be willing to realize what the devil is trying to do now. He's not just after one lamb. He's after everything I got. He wants to destroy every part of me. He wants to take away every blessing that I have. He wants to to destroy my reputation. He wants to bring me down. So devil, if this is where you want the battle lines to be drawn, I wanted to fight for little things. I wanted to get I wanted to get courageous over little things. I, I wanted to stand up for something small. I want to preach to you that's so important in your walk with God. It may seem like a little thing that devil's after and it wouldn't mean much for me just to give in and to compromise in this area and capitulate. But I'm telling you, that's just where it's starts. The devil's out to your whole walk with God. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to take you down. He wants to eliminate you forever. But if there's somebody in this house that will only realize, devil, I'm going to meet you right where you come attacking the small things. I'm going to stand up for it. These convictions that I have are not for sale. Amen. This desire that I have for God is not for sale. My prayer life is not for sale. Amen. It's not up for question. I'm willing to fight for it. Oh, yeah. The devil will give you 101 reasons why Wednesday night church is not really important. That's a little lamb. Oh, yeah. Let me get where we're living. He'll give you 101 reasons why. Why worship? You can just ease back. I mean, you know, it's summertime. It's summertime. Come on. You know, at least you're here and not at the beach. I mean, you know, we ought to count for something. Oh, but I'm telling you, it may seem like a small thing, but the devil ever gets a wedge between you and God and your worship, I'm telling you, he's not going to stop there because he knows what worship does. Nobody understands like the devil understands the effects of worship. He understands that a church that worships is a revival church. A person that worships is a is a church and a people that have faith alive in their heart because it takes faith sometimes to worship God. It takes faith to dance before the Lord. It takes it takes faith to lift your hands when it seems like all the world's on your shoulders. But you better make up your mind, sir. Amen. I'm going to fight for the little things. I'm going to fight, amen, for my worship because I'm not going to let the devil destroy me. Oh, come on, let's give a praise unto the Lord right now. Oh, yeah. David had won those small victories, or what would seem to be small, and had this testimony that if God can do it there, he can do it here. And this is no different. You know, it seems like we categorize what God is able to do sometimes. Got a headache? I'll pray for you. 
got cancer, better drive 500 miles and find a faith healer because I don't have the faith for that. I'm not talking about us. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about some people. And I'm not, I'm not against asking whomever, whenever to pray for you. I had a friend of mine, his daddy was sick in the hospital, and there was preachers that were coming and visiting, and he said, sir, I'm not really in your fellowship and don't belong to the group you belong to, but I, I did hear about your circumstance. I come to pray, and he said, you know what? I don't care what you are. If you got faith, I want you to pray for me because I need a healing in my life. So when you get a need, you, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not casting any stones here when it comes to uh, call all the faith healers you can think of. But I'm just telling you, amen, that if we can believe God for small things, we can believe him for big things. I want you to think right now something that God did for you. It may be minor. It may be minor to some, but usually it's not too minor to us. Amen. Somebody else may be dismissive of it, but I'm going to tell you, when you think about it, it's a big deal. Because you think that God and his greatness thought about me and my situation. And he was able to answer my prayer. That he was able to tend to my cry. When you consider that. Oh, and you consider that I'm just a, a finite man. And God who is infinite come down. Amen. And met my need. That's, that's a quite a thing to consider. And we're, we're, we're left in awe when we consider those things. David said if he can... Help me to slay a lion and a bear. I didn't do this on my own, he's saying. That's the problem. That's where victory stops is when we start thinking we've done it ourselves. I got this done on my own. <laughs> Brother Barnes was a fascinating man. And I didn't get to know him well. He did attend some different meetings and things and and uh, served in some capacities with him. And uh, the hunters that are here sat under his ministry as young people growing up, young marrieds, and so they know him well. But I remember him telling a story on himself about how that he went out in his tent revivals and he put up this big sign. And he said, Barnes Healing Crusade, I believe is what he said. And uh, he said he got it. He's kind of proud of it, you know, got it all rigged up there and backed off to look at it that afternoon and their services were going to start that night. He said the Lord spoke to him. He said, Barnes Healing Crusade. Hmm. He said, looks good. He said, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> he said, wait, wait, wait just a minute, God. He said, uh, I'll take it down if you'll give me a chance because if you don't show up tonight, Nobody's going to get healed. Isn't that the truth? I like to say that if it isn't for God's power and God's healing virtue, I can't raise a fly and I can't heal a gnat. But God is able to raise up people and heal people, perform miracles in the life. I still believe in miracles. I've experienced some. I've had God work it out for me. Hallelujah, I've seen some, I was telling God this morning, I've seen some prayers that I have prayed lately, uh, specific prayers, uh, I've seen them come to fruition, 
I've seen them come to being. And then I've seen some prayers that God worked out over time. I, I remember when, when, when I, I arrived here to pastor, I was intimidated by the, the, the normity of our, well, what we owed on this facility. I was just, I, oh, my God. And it seemed like such a big deal. I mean, you're talking about 600 and something thousand bucks. And I thought, how's it ever going to happen? And, and I heard about during this period of time, I think it took us about 12 years to get that done. But during that period of time, I heard about how there'd be this this pastor over here. He'd get somebody would just pay his building off, half a million bucks. And, and the guy over here, somebody just pay his building off. And, and I'm thinking, God, what about me? And, and it was as if the Lord spoke to me and said, yeah, I'm performing a miracle for you every month. I'm giving you one incrementally. And you just keep giving me praise and we'll just keep working it out. And God used you along the way to see that miracle transpire and to see that miracle happen. And we're in this facility right now that is paid off for the glory of God because there was people that said, I wanted to be a part of the miracle that God is doing every day. So some miracles happen overnight and some miracles just happen as you walk with God and as you're faithful to God. But I thank God for them. And if God gives you one little victory, shout over that. Amen. When when that note would come due, five, I think it was about $5,500 or something like that at first, maybe $6,000. bucks. And, and uh, nowadays, that didn't seem like too bad. But back then, it, it seemed like a big deal. Just believe me. And, uh, you know, when that would come due, I'd, I, I'd think, man, I hope there's enough. I'd be checking everything, checking everything. And as if God just, just hey, just be all right. It's going to be okay. Amen. We're going to give you the miracle. We're going to take you to keep doing what you know is right you keep walking with God and people here stood faithful to God and we're here because God gives miracles hey that's a big deal may not be a big deal to somebody else oh yeah but it's a big deal for us right here because God has been good to us God has blessed us come on if God has blessed you why don't you give him a sound of praise right now David was courageous and bold and assured of God's promises. He said, Saul, I'm not worried about this. Everybody else is fretting. Everybody else's knees is knocking, but I'm not worried about it. It's God's to die. It's God's to take care of. Yeah, when you get that mindset that I'm a child of God, I'm living right, I'm doing right, I'm being obedient, I'm serving God, I'm walking in His will. God doesn't have special favorites. He's not a preference to one over another. But if I walk according to his word, he'll bless me too. He'll help me too. He'll strengthen me too. He'll take care of my needs just like he'll take care of anybody else's needs. David said, I'm not worried about it. Who is this guy that keeps defiling the armies of the living God? He went out there and he said, you know what, I'm going to go just like I've always gone. I'm going to go trust in the Lord. I'm not going out there with all the implements of the, and all these things that are unproven and untried. 
Don't change now. Keep on going back to what you know is right, what you know works. Amen. I'm going to tell you, old-fashioned Holy Ghost praying still works. Old-fashioned disbelieving God and having faith in God and having church and worshiping God and coming and hearing the preached word of God and having altar services where people are slain in the Holy Ghost. That may be old-fashioned for some people, but I'm telling you, it still works. It steals what coming around an altar and staying there until you get victory. That still works. Praying until you pray through. That still works. Come on, anybody believe that here tonight? Second Samuel chapter 21. The Philistines engaged in a battle with David's army. David was on the battlefield. This is long after he had slew Goliath. He was weaker. He was... The Bible said he had waxed faint. And he encountered a giant that's got a weird, funky name. Ishbianav. Say that three times real quick. Ishbianav. Sound like something you eat over a skewer or something. Ishbianav. I don't know if he's a Polish giant or what. But he thought to have slain David. But a young man, when David was waxing weak and Ishbianab was getting the better of him, a young man said, hey, 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 step aside, David. You've slain your giants. You've done your part. You, you've given so many. If you hadn't started this, we wouldn't know it could be done. If you hadn't won these victories, we wouldn't know what it is to even try to obtain victory. You've done your part. He said, I'm going to step up, and I'm going to fight this giant. And the Bible said that young man slew Ishbianah. And he said this. He said, thou shalt not go out no more to battle with us. We're not. You just stay at home. We'll do the fighting at this point. He said that thou quench not the light of Israel. In other words, you're a valuable man, David, and you fought your giants and you've got to this place and God has blessed you we're going to take the same spirit and the same mantle of anointing on and we're going to fight giants we've got the energy the vitality and the youth to do it and so we're going to carry on what you've brought into us and the way that you paid for us we're going to carry this on can I, can I preach to the younger generation here and when I say younger I'm not talking about you know, just the young people. I'm talking about those that still have energy and strength in your body. Amen. I'm going to tell you, if you could still walk five miles in the woods to hunt down a white, white tail, or you could still, you can ride a boat for ten miles upstream to find a fishing hole, you ought to be able, when you come to the house of God, did I get too plain there? You ought to be able to, when you come to the house of God, it spend a little energy praising the Lord. Amen. Oh, let me get down where we're living here. Let me let me get off of that because I can see some of you kind of having trouble with it. But uh, I'm just going to tell you, if you can run up and down a basketball court until your tongue is hanging out, you ought to be able to come to the house of God and give God a little bit of that energy. Oh, yeah. 
you can get all hyped up about the things of this world, amen, and it's spending energy there. If you can go and work every, every bit of overtime that they could possibly give you to make an extra shekel to put in your pocket, you ought to be able to come to the house of God when it's time to praise the Lord and say, I'm here to sing. I'm here to rejoice. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to clap when it's time to clap. I'm here to shout when it's time to shout. I'm here to dance when it's time to dance. Because God deserves my best. Oh, somebody give him some praise. David, you've already faced down your giants. Absalom's rebellion. Shimei's false accusing. Saul's jealousy. Goliath. They were no match for him. So what was so great or special about Ishbanab that, that caused David to faint and it nearly slew him? I found that Ishbanab means set down and be fruitful. That's what that word really means. I was just joking about it being Polish. But it means set down and be fruitful. So I understand a little bit more about this. There is no spirit that weakens or saps the strength out of a leader like the attitude and the spirit that says set down and be, be fruitful. That's counterintuitive. That cannot happen. You can't set down. If, you're, if there's going to be fruit, there has to be somebody that is willing to, to plow the ground, put the seed in the ground, and then that seed has to be cultivated. That seed, it has to be watered and cared for. That seed has to make sure that weeds and pestilence and other things don't get it. And then that seed has a responsibility. It has to push through the earth and make its way to the surface, and it has to defy gravity to grow. Can I tell you that you can't sit down and be fruitful the only way that you can continue to be fruitful and blessed in the kingdom of God is to make up your mind I'm going to keep fighting on I'm going to keep believing God you say I got the Holy Ghost I've already been baptized I live holy I can just sit down and be fruitful come on this is not a bus that we're taking to glory will you just sit down until we get there but this right here is an operation that we've all got to be involved in I'm going to tell you everybody needs to be someone that's paddling this boat. Everybody needs to be involved. We need all hands on deck involved and engaged in what God is doing. We need worshipers. We need prayer warriors. We need people of faith. We need people that will evangelize and be soul winners. We need people that will be a good mentor and disciple somebody along the way. Why? Because there's no set down and be fruitful that could ever happen in the kingdom of God. That's the giant that almost got David. Yeah. Amen. You, you can't sit down and be fruitful. You've got to deal with that attitude and that spirit that tries to get you to relax. It talks about another giant that had six fingers on both hands and six toes. It had an extra appendage. On each of his feet and each of his hands. And I could spend a little time talking about that. There's so many spirits of this world that try to get a grip on you and entangle you. 
but the scripture said, don't be entangled with the things of this world. Amen. But strive to be a good soldier. Amen. In other words, I can't allow myself to be entangled with things that are about me so much so that I forget about that I'm in a battle. I'm in a spiritual warfare, and I've got to be victorious, and this is where it all counts. And, and if I don't stay on the battlefield and fight, I'm going to be vanquished. I, I'm not going to be here. I can be destroyed, and every bit of ground that God has given me can be taken away from me. i got to continue to fight. When it describes this giant in Deuteronomy chapter 3, and I'm almost through, there's no mention of weapons. There's no mention of any accomplishments. There's no record really given at all. The only thing that is mentioned is the size of his bed. The only thing the Bible says about this last giant that they have to conquer before they can go into the promises of God because you do know that Deuteronomy comes right before the book of Joshua. And this is where the promises of God are going to be realized and taken into possession. The scripture says that this giant had a king-sized bed. The Bible tells us that the bed was 14 feet long. Can you imagine? Did they sell that at furniture stores? Seven feet wide. And why is that so important? Why talk about the last giant that we have to defeat before we move into our destiny, our promise, and revival. Because I believe that this giant represents the attitude of ease and relaxation and the spirit, the spirit of slumber, as it were, that says, you know what? I can just kick back. I don't have to be quite as intense now. I don't have to be so fired up. I don't have to be so radical. I don't have to be so, I don't have to be so into it. I don't have to be so intense about my worship anymore. I can lay back and, and I, I can just, I can go through the motions now. I've got enough years in, I'm going to let some others kind of take my place. I remember uh, in the church up in St. Louis that Brother Black pastored for many years there. Brother Winford Black pastored the church in St. Louis. It was one of the churches that, in our fellowship that was most well-known. And uh, it was a very large church. And there was a man in that church that every service, uh, he didn't have a responsibility as far as in the order of the service. He was not an usher. He was not somebody on the platform. But he was always there worshiping God in his place there on the front pew. And he came up to a guest speaker, and I heard them tell this story that was there preaching. And he said, you know what my job is, brother? They said, what is that? He said, I'm a fire starter. He said, when it's a little dead around here, that preacher can count on me to get something going. He can count on me to be involved in what is happening. He can count on me to back the preaching of the Word of God. He can count on me to say amen. He can count on me to exercise faith. He can count on me to pray. He can count on me to be involved in what's going on. Can I preach to you that we need a whole lot more fire starters at Pentecost. We need a whole lot more people that when they come to the house of God. They don't come to, to be critical of what's going on, but they come to be engaged in what's going on. I'm going to worship. I'm going to get behind the Word of God. I'm going to be in the Amen corner. I'm going to be a part of what God is doing in His church. Would you stand with me right now?
That giant of Og is the giant that said, take it easy. Relax. Get comfortable. Stop praying. Stop worshiping. Stop being involved. Stop being faithful. I mean, after all, I mean, most of the denominal world, it's one time a week, maybe. And maybe one time a month in the summertime. Three times a week at prayer meeting on Tuesday. Come on, Brother Calhoun. I mean, this is the 21st century. You do understand. I'm going to tell you, I come from a day when I first started evangelizing. You know, I hear all these old timers talk. I'm just 46 years of age. But I do remember when I started preaching revival, it was about six services a week. I can see some of you, oh, my God. Oh, he's going to go back to that. Maybe we do need to go back to it. I'm going to tell you more than going back to that. We need to get back to the spirit of it. We need to get back to the sacrifice of it. We need to get back to the attitude. We don't need to lose ground between Wednesday night and Sunday morning. We don't need to lose ground between Sunday night and Wednesday night. But each time we come back in here, we need to step it up just a little further and be a little bit more for God than we were the time that we were here before because that's the way this thing works. There's much land to be possessed. It's time we take down this giant of ease. Take down this giant that said sacrifice and the days of sacrifice is over. Over and make up our minds. We're going to be red hot for Jesus. We're not just going to go through the motions, but we're really going to be involved and intense about the kingdom of God. That's how you have revival. Come on, I want to. I'm just going to ask you. I'm about to give out here tonight. I preached twice today. You know, if there's anybody who could get into this one service a day, the preacher could get into it. I promise you that. Because, I mean, you know, we're the ones up here. I feel like my guts are quivering when I go home. And I wake up on, on, uh, on, on Monday morning. It doesn't matter if I talk to somebody at 6 o'clock in the morning. Or if I talk to them at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. If I talk to them at 6 o'clock in the afternoon, did you just get up? I said, no. I preached yesterday. Did you forget about that? I preached yesterday. That's, that's the way I sound after I get done doing this. That's my normal voice. I'm not making this up. I sound I don't sound like Donald Duck all week just on Mondays. When you give your all to something, when you're passionate about something, amen, when you lay it all on the line, when you give everything you got. Come on, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in less. I'm interested in so much the more as you see the day approaching. If the devil's coming down with great wrath, I think the church is time for us to step it up. It's time for us to step it up. Come on, where's the worshipers at? Where's the praisers at? Where's the prayer warriors at? Who wants to slay that giant? Who wants to take down that giant that said that I may as well lay back and sit down and be fruitful? Come on, come to this altar with your hands raised. Come to this altar with your voice lifted.